Good evening, fans of the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. We have a special podcast for you tonight. It's what I like to call a split seven inch. We've got half a source material and half a damn you, Hollywood. I'm your host, a mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. And tonight, we are talking about The Kitchen. First, the DC Vertigo book, and then the new major motion picture. That's all in quotes, by the way. Uh, brought to you from Warner Brothers and a bunch of woke motherfuckers in that office. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. And joining me on the split seven inch tonight is Jesse Starcher, the host of Source Material. How you doing, sir? Oh, my goodness. Has my application for the Department of Wokeness been revoked? We'll find out here later as we talk the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull your woke card. <laughs> Don't need one. I'll, I'll go ahead and pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a special guest with us tonight on this Split 7-inch source material, Damn You Hollywood. And when I say Split 7-inch, we're not going to do the usual Damn You Hollywood format. Um, this is more like our Alan Moore month. For those of you who've only been with us for the Spreaker era and didn't listen to us in the Blog Talk Radio days, we dedicated an entire month to Alan Moore, where the podcast was just a straight talk about the book, compare it to the movie kind of a thing, you know, without the other bits. That's kind of how this one's going to go tonight. But we have a guy who's uh, our resident expert in all things Irish Kitchen Mafia. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Toxic Masculine, totally 80s Pat Mullen. How you doing, sir? Uh, I'd just, for the record, like to say that all parties involved with both the comic and the movie, I'd like to personally beat the piss out of all of you. <laughs> <laughs> and we are off and running. Yes, sir. All right, yes, Jesse, sir. I'm going to kick it over to you. Let's get this party started. All right, man. So, yeah, well, we, we're going to talk the book here. It came out from DC's Vertigo imprint. 2015 is the cover date, which means it probably hit shelves there late 2014. Um, yeah, yeah, we're looking at this particular book, okay, written by Ollie Masters, uh, artist Ming Doyle and colorist Jordi Belair, one of the more prolific colorists you still hear their name today. Uh, and Vertigo's known through the, you know, well, <laughs> not going to be known much any longer since uh, the apparently that imprint has died just <laughs> recently. Although they're they're just they'll just call it something else. But uh, yeah, the kitchen. Uh, this focuses on a three, I think, wives. I can't, I'm pretty certain that each one of them were married. Uh, in Hell's Kitchen, taking place back in the 1970s. So Now, Mark, you, you kind of already talked about what we're doing. We're jam-packing that uh, into this show. We, we chose this book because of the movie, correct? That is correct. Uh, about a year and a half ago, when it showed up on the Wikipedia list for movies coming out in 2019... Uh, I saw it to release date, and I kind of, I kind of just show you how the sausage is made. I click through a lot of the movies. I don't know what they are on weeks where there's, I don't know what we should review. Mm -hmm. And I saw something called The Kitchen, amongst all the other ones. We almost did Dora, um, that, but I, but I didn't, I didn't want to see Winfrey just running naked with a knife to his throat down <laughs> the streets of Utah. So I, I did not follow through on Dora the Explorer. Um, I saw something called The Kitchen, and I saw that it was a comic book adaptation, and, you know, and it looked like it was um, just eight issues. It was, you know, if you got it as a graphic novel, it was a pretty quick, breezy read. And I'm like, okay, well, this should be something fairly interesting to talk about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, have you ever read much Vertigo there, Pat? I don't know if that's something that you've ever gotten into. We've talked comics before, but um, you ever get into Vertigo comics very much? Yeah, I used to read a pretty fair amount of Vertigo um, titles back when because Vertigo was really kind of more almost at one point like the, I don't want to say supernatural, but the more adult kind of supernatural themed mm -hmm. line where from Vertigo I remember reading stuff like the Books of Magic, uh, Hellblazer was on Vertigo, Swamp Thing was a Vertigo title, yep. and I, I read all those. I read you know a little bit of Sandman. Um, you know, stuff like that, which is what I was familiar with Vertigo for. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of like um, DC doesn't really want to 
uh, they want to get. Uh, let's try it this way. DC wants to give a chance to some independent. Uh, what you may see more along the lines of, uh, of independent titles uh, on their Vertigo imprint. So may, this obviously isn't going to fall in line with the DC continuity. So they're like, well, here, here, just take it to Vertigo, and, and Vertigo will, you know, if it's a decent premise and written well, then we'll go ahead and publish the book. So. This, written by Ollie Masters, I just did a quick look up here. The only thing I could really find is his listing on DC Comics, and I don't know if he was, my goodness, I don't know if he's credited on too much of anything else. They have him listed here on comicbookdb.com. He was a writer on Extraordinary X-Men, Sons of Anarchy, Redwood Original, okay? Um, The only real title I recognize here is X-Men. He was also on... Uh, a German release of X-Men? Okay. All right. So, yeah. Ger- <laughs> was, it, was it Deflator Mouse? No, it was not Deflator Mouse. It's Welton Fresser. <laughs> Welton Fresser. Are you sure it wasn't Panzermensch? Not the Panzermensch. Oh. Not the Deflator Mouse. So, now, uh, Pat, did you ever, did you read The Kitchen at all, uh, you know, prior going into the show, or was this something you found on, on shelves? And it was like picked it up and said, "Okay, I've got to read this." Or did Mark just kind of muscle you into coming on the show to talk about? Hang on, no, 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 no. I did not muscle anybody. Well, I muscled you, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did not muscle Pat. I cannot muscle Pat. Pat is a giant boulder. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, when he found out what we were talking about and I explained it to him, he was compelled. He was motivated. He had a burning desire, didn't you, Pat? Okay. Yeah, first of all, the first thing I ever knew about this was the trailers that I saw for this fucking movie, uh, which I had a conversation with Mark about, and Mark goes, oh yeah, it's based on a comic, and I said, what? And he, he was like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, this is it. And he sends me a link to, I guess, uh, like to buy the trade paperback, and uh, you know, I see it's by Vertigo, by DC, and then I read the synopsis for the comic, and I say, oh, okay, let me read this farcical nonsense. <laughs> And uh, I started reading it, and I said, boy, this is the shit. Whoever, whatever dipshit's writing this has no concept of what actually went on, what was actually possible, and so on and so on. Uh, And then, uh, apparently, which we'll get to the movie part of this, I'll let Mark handle that, but yeah, I... uh, I had to laugh real hard about this one. Okay, all right, well, let me give a quick synopsis of what we got going on here in... The kitchen, all right? So Hell's Kitchen in the 70s. Not the easiest place to live or make a living. However, the Irish Mafia has been making quite a living there for years. And when three members of the Irish Mafia are caught doing some bad deeds, their wives, Kathy, Raven, and Angie, make a decision to step up in order to keep their business alive. With the help of a rather more than willing family friend, Tommy, the girls are able to make business flourish. But the business begins to take a toll on the ladies as... Now that they are deeply involved in the blood, money, and power that come with it, their lives begin to change. To make matters more complicated, their husbands are released, expecting to come home, unaware the ladies do not plan to give up their seats of power. So, Mark Radlitz, let's go ahead and start, man, with you. What do you think of the book? I mean, we already said... While we were talking in the in, in the chat, this was a pretty breezy read, so it's got that going for it. Um, what was your thoughts here, man? I mean, it it was pretty straightforward. Um, I think uh, you and I talked about this offline, um, off podcast, that there are some character changes that happen pretty abruptly, yes. uh, as if maybe they thought this was going to be an ongoing title, and then we're told nobody nobody is buying this horse shit. End it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody spoke up and said there are some inaccuracies sir <laughs> well, not even that I think somebody I, don't, I just I don't have the sales numbers in front of me but I can't imagine this sold well you know I think this is a movie I think this is a book that got made into a movie because Warner Brothers is sitting on this DC slash Vertigo imprint this IP and is trying to monetize as much of it as possible especially with their streaming service coming online it's just like just make shit for cheap so that people will have stuff a reason to get our streaming service and I honestly think that's how this made it they looked at this they were like we can shoot this on the cheap let's get some bankable stars and um and we'll we'll talk about that later 
Yeah, you're putting the cart before the horse here. We, with the comic itself, though, you're you're saying that you believe that it probably most I, likely. Ran I don't think it's sold. Problems. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's sold. This comes across. This was the point that I was making. I know it sounded like I was like getting into this movie rant, but to bring it back to the comic, I don't feel like the authors intended this to be an eight. This isn't paced very well. Like, yeah. it's paced like they meant to go past eight issues, but then somewhere around issue four or five, they were like, all right, well, no one's bought it, so end this, you know, so how fast can you end this fucking thing? Yeah. So suddenly, the, your female leads are doing weird and, and unseemly stuff that's wildly out of character. So, it's a mixed bag for me. Um, I like the art in it. The art's fine. I had a hard time kind of keeping the character straight as far as their names, you know. A couple of the gals look a little too similar. Well, yeah, we have, you know, we have Kathy the blonde. We have Raven, mm. who has dark hair, and then Angie, who has red hair. Not too hard to keep them uh, separate, but then, like, by issue seven, Raven goes and dyes her hair blonde. And you're like, well, okay, hold on. Now, yeah. the one way that I kept them straight, now I can't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I feel you there. I understand what you're yeah, saying. Good, good job, colorist. <laughs> <laughs> um,. As far as just kind of wrapping up what I thought of the story, the other, I mean, I like the idea of they're on their ass. They have, you know, that they were housewives basically who suddenly had to start collecting protection money because it was the only way for their families to live and they could do nothing else. And so they do it. But as anyone who who has ever tried to sell drugs or you know do any kind of organized crime knows if you don't have an army backing you up or the reputation that you'll murder everybody in somebody else's family and their cousin it doesn't go very well and so there were some building blocks here that i thought were pretty cool and i thought were interesting and then of course they they, they get so big they attract the attention of an italian mafioso um <laughs> he has a great line which they which they also kept for the movie he was like it was, was like i'll make deals with whoever i have use for and if mm-hmm. I have no use for you, then fuck off. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care if you die or not. Um, but like, I, but the, like I said, the downside to it was it wasn't paced very well. It gets very muddled at the end, and characters start doing wild and crazy things. 2014-2015, uh, are we in the era there of, uh, you know, the, the woman power? Is that do you, do you think that that was the... Right. When did Harvey Weinstein get me too'd? <laughs> Is that, I, I, well, we could find out. I don't think it was that early. I really don't think it, it was. It seems like it's been going on for a century. It feels like, yeah, that's because you hear so much about it. Well, not not only on top of that, you quote me to every fucking podcast. So. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm like a cheeseburger with some meat too on it. Um, yeah. Harvey uh, <laughs> Weinstein was accused in October of 2017, firstly. Okay. Right. Uh, however, however, we have to remember that 2015 was, and the end of 2014, mind you, were the uh, initial ramblings of who was going to run for president. Mm. Uh. Good point. Mark, do you feel like this was a, I guess, an ode to woman power here, or was this, did this feel more like a crime noir type story with just with that element, uh, you know, kind of thrown in? I don't know what the intention was. Um, I think... Oh, gosh. Here's a better question. When did the gender swapping in Marvel start? Uh, It was probably a little bit before this. Yeah, I would would say probably. Because I think that's more of what directly influenced the writing of this and the green lighting of this comic was... You know, somewhere along the line, much to Pat and many others' chagrin and to the detriment of sales, there was this idea in comics of, hey, let's make everybody a girl or some other minority, and um, minorities will then and will then buy comics and we'll all make money and lobster. Uh, it so didn't work out that way. this for in October of 2014, post-date, which would mean that that was actually probably mid-2014. And I would say that the gender swapping thing was across the board, wasn't it? Because didn't DC also go through like their own kind of make feminist, you know, pro minority movement around the same time? I think Marvel was more about making people black or a woman, and DC was more about making people fruits. 
<laughs> Ironheart, Ironheart. Uh, the, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean queers. I mean, uh, you know, non-binary people of indiscriminate uh, animalistic sexual taste. This is why I don't participate and promote my and promote your podcast conversations. <laughs> Ironheart. Ironheart is a fictional comic book superhero appearing in publications by the American publisher Marvel Comics. The character was created in 2015 by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, if you know much about the uh, female Iron Man, it's uh, Ironheart. So, yeah, I'm right about around this time. You it's know, a black it, woman, right? Yep. Yeah, I like that her name is Riri. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably that the was before, fucking person who created her, too. Just behind his back. <laughs> hey, we're on the office. Hey, Bendis, you got your helmet? Yeah. I think just for laughs, I'm gonna ask somebody in one of these Facebook groups. Hey, if you review my podcast, I'll review yours and send them the link to this one. Oh, well, well the night's young, sir. <laughs> we can make sure this one is outstanding by the by the end of it. Uh, well, did you have uh, of the three ladies? I mean, did one of them stick out to you the most there, Mark? That uh, you feel that. Uh, had more of the, I guess. Did you did you gravitate towards one? Yeah, I think Raven has the most interesting story. I mean, she has the heel turn sort of you know towards the end. I think she ends up getting, if I remember correctly, I I read this Sunday and I'm. <laughs> That's fine. I've got I've got notes. I'll I'll back you up here. I believe Raven's the one that 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 gets the heel turn and dies. It was we talked about before. Dyes her hair blonde, yep. um, and gets her comeuppance at the end. Like it's like yeah. they all kind of split up for a year, and then you know she comes home. There's like a head in the refrigerator. She turns around and gets shot. Yeah, um, I would have said oh. head, I believe the the Italian isn't it? Isn't it the Italian that she was taking orders from after she made that deal no, with them? She gets killed by the redhead and her boyfriend. No, she does. But Gargano, I think it's Gargano's head that's in the fridge. Yeah, she basically loses her Italian protection. Yeah. Yep, and then she's she's dead. She does have an interesting turn. I think a lot of this book, I mean, the way that I took it, um, you know, we have three female leads in this book. That, you know, that was neither here nor there. I understand the premise of it was for them to kind of show women with their men gone and what are they going to do, especially in this life of crime, and they decide to make this decision to kind of take up the and keep the business going. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and take over the business, uh, which they do, and then it just – you know, it all starts to turn to shit because it's all it's not what they're used to. They're out of their element, number one. Um, yeah, they may be wives of of uh, some heavy hitters there in the Irish Mafia, but they are not the people going out there and making the the collections until their men leave. And then you can see that that business really starts to take its toll on each of these three ladies. Um you know, Kathy seems sensible enough. Her, she's our our blonde here. Who um, I think her husband is Jimmy, and they have two kids. I mean, they almost—it's almost like, other than the fact that Jimmy's part Irish mafia here, they are not. You know, they're they're not too different from me and you. They're just trying to make ends meet with two kids, send their kids to school, and all that. Uh, and then, you know, Jimmy comes back and their relationship takes a big hit, big time hit, because he comes back and he thinks that he's just going to step right back into the into the fold. Well, it's funny. Um, There's another level of social relevance here with this comic, and that is the idea of displacement. Um, you know, it's the old that took our jobs. Um, so these guys go away to prison, leaving the women starving. And so they take matters into their own hands. But then when the men come back, they're like, well, they expect to go back to their jobs they expect their jobs to be there it's like going off to going off to war and then coming back and expecting to be able to go back to doing what you were doing before and finding out oh you know so <clears throat> sorry thank you for your service but the factory closed down you know yeah that would be that would be democrats <laughs> um and so there's a lot of resentment there there's a lot of anger um a lot of projection you know, even if you didn't have the inherent uh, misogyny of mafia life, especially again in the late seventies. Yeah, you got to remember this takes place in a very. This isn't like way after the women's movement, but uh, I mean, this is yeah, this is the late seventies. It's 
it's not going to go over well. The whole like the whole feminist movement was like, it was very much a college thing. If you ask like the housewives back home, they thought their daughters were you know in some cases were nuts. So yeah, you know where the women's movement led them to here in Hell's Kitchen in the seventies? The kitchen, and not Hell's Kitchen either. <laughs> the kitchen making sandwiches. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, like it, it gets it's, it gets sort of glamorized and propped up by uh, by Hollywood, but the feminist movement was mostly a, like a, a, a campus thing. Yeah, with a bunch of broads who stopped shaving their armpits. <laughs> yes, in college. Yeah, um, like Patti Smith on the cover of that album. Hey, get Jesse, what's our favorite song by Patti Smith? Uh oh, man, you asked me too quick. Help me out. Rock what's and to start roll. With? Oh no, I'm not saying that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, forgot all about that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Jesus. I do know what you're talking about. My but, goodness. But is get... it a word I readily use or may have already used? Yeah, it's rock and roll, nigger. Um, anyway. That's not a word I regularly use. Oh, no, okay. Anyway, but that's a song. That's that's our favorite one, isn't you're it, Jesse? talking about rock and roll, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you horrible man. I didn't write the song. Patty Smith did. Take it up with her. Send her angry tweets. He's still alive? Who knows? Um, I'm, sure I'm pretty she, I'm, sure, but I would, I would just ask her to shave her armpits. Perfect she, Whether she's rapper. alive or dead, I'm pretty sure she has an active Twitter account, and it wasn't banned for ripping off a Looney Tunes cartoon. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> a inside baseball there. Uh, but to get back to the actual point, yeah, I think that that's also what that, what the writers were, tra- were, were talking about here, because we see that we you know, that was a big part of the... Trump campaign, which was, hey, all of you displaced, angry white men, we understand you can't find jobs because there's too much competition and do you all have too little education. That's okay. I'm going to fix it by building a wall. And here's the comic. Well, that... well I won't get into it, but that's clearly not the narrative. <laughs> that was the narrative that was pushed. Um, yeah. It, it's not the, hey, we're not, we feel sorry because we've created all of these bullshit social programs that give less qualified candidates jobs ahead of you, even though you're better off for it. Sorry. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, but I think that's the opinion of the writers of this comic is that, you know, is sort of dealing with that, but taking, you know, but taking it back like 40 years. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's the, the aesthetic, the theme of displacement, and saying, okay, let's transplant that to decades before in this little microcosm of the world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you talked about Raven. Um, you know, Raven's big character. What about Raven? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a throwback to a Disney show. Or Disney? It's Disney. No, Donnie, uh, it's... Not- it's Goddamn Scott Levy, ECW. Oh, wait. No, wait a second. Whoa, what was I thinking? What was the name of that show? That's so so Raven. Oh, see. That is so Raven. That is bad. Boy, if I was editing this podcast, too bad it's live, (laughs) motherfuckers. All right. So, uh, yeah, so Raven. And, uh, you know, she does make some big changes here. I mean, by the end of this book, and we're just going to spoil it for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So, at the end of this book, they... Kathy and Raven, who are sisters, um, Kathy has taken a a liking or a friendship to a a hooker friend. I think this is by like issue five. And Raven believes she's kind of like this no nonsense, uh, you know, protect the business at all costs uh, kind of gal. And she believes that her taking this hooker in is is going to become a liability. And unbeknownst to Kathy turns around and has her killed to try and protect Kathy. Also, there is a bit of a plot where Kathy ended up killing the brother of a made man, blah, blah, blah. But Raven's, Raven's intent is to try and protect, number one, her, uh, her, her sister, and number two, her business. So at the end of this, when Kathy and Raven kind of confront each other, they get into a, a, a fight, uh, basically, at their house, at Raven's house, to where... In a tragic turn of events, Kathy falls down and lands on a knife and dies. Um, not only that, she earlier in the book, she f- kind of falls in love with this other guy. I think he's one of the men that worked for Gartano, this, uh, this Italian uh, mafioso dude. And she ends up ha- making a deal 
and killing him in order to again protect her sister Kathy from being uh, from being outed. And so Raven does have this crazy turn, and I think that's where the whole symbolic of dyeing her hair. She was going to change, you know, she's basically changing herself into this other persona, and then after Kathy's death, take takes over the business pretty much. Um, and Angie and Tommy, Tommy, what do you think of Tommy, Mark? Psychopath. Um. See, this is where I think they needed to flesh out the character and issues that sort of thing because. He talks about, like, oh, he got out of uh, Bellevue or whatever um, state mental hospital. I would have liked to have seen some of that. He kind of just brings it up kind of nonchalantly, and then they move on. And I I don't... Damn it, Mark. It's not about men. Nobody cares about men. <laughs> I, I care about characters. He's, he's there in the book. He's a prominent character in the book. Um, and I don't get this... I don't get the sense that he's a lunatic. So did he... You know, like, there's a whole... Like, he had an interesting kind of story. He went from being in the mafia to in an insane asylum and then getting out while he was still young and not fucked up on Thorazine, which that would have been the drug du jour at the time. Like, there's a whole story here I want to hear about from this guy. They needed an <laughs> issue just dedicated to his story, and I got nothing. Yeah. He's just kind of there as a... He's a tool on the tool belt of the female he's attached to. Yeah, uh, the uh, I, the bulk of this book for me, you know, is just the wives having to make decisions and fight for what they took over uh, when their husbands left them, and and to try and stay in those that those seats of power. Um, yeah, it's a real tragic buildup of events. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that once they step into this role, just like they have to. Kathy sets things off when she ends up almost killing that brother of the maid the maid mafioso guy uh and then it just continues to kind of get out of control from from there on out so i i don't know again i didn't feel the major push of the the woman agenda i just saw it as okay well these ladies are trying to make their life now pat i've been keeping you quiet the whole time because i know that you have probably some vitriol saved up for this book <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what did you what did you think of the book? Uh, did you have anything to, uh, to talk about in regards to the characters? What's your thoughts here, man? Okay, so first of all, who's the writer of this mess? This is Ali. I say Ali, Ali Masters. Yeah, well, Ali, wherever you're fr fucking from in Colorado or Nebraska or you know whenever, and not Hell's Kitchen. Growing up with a distinct lack of any kind of history or reality within where you live, this shit is completely impossible to happen. First of all, I don't care who the women are married to. In the Hell's Kitchen Irish mob, which would collectively in the 1960s become known as the Westies, no woman's going to be in a seat of power. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because these crazy motherfuckers who cut people's heads off for fun, we're not going to let some woman tell them what to do, okay? It, it just doesn't happen. If one guy went to jail, his lieutenant stepped in. If in the odd event that three of them went to jail, there were eight to ten more guys behind them waiting for the next step that they would take, and they would become the power. Secondly, if three of the top lieutenants did go into you know, jail or hiding or whatever, the Italians take power. That's how it works. The wives don't have shit. You know why? Because, one, they didn't have any real responsibility in the first place for this, nor would they know how to just jump in and run a criminal empire. Two, <laughs> nobody would fucking help them do this unless they were going to kill them to ingratiate themselves and get the spot. This is fucking dumb on so many levels. He has no concept of how this works. So one of the big pushes and one of the big motivations in this is that, um, and this is, it goes for the movie as well, um, the the kitchen Irish are not actually following through on their protection for which they get paid for. So, yeah, which first of all, okay, let's go back to the protection, right? They didn't really fucking have a protection racket. That's not how it worked. What they did was they fucking got themselves ingratiated with unions to get construction jobs for the Javits Center, for Madison Square Garden, uh, for the old Coliseum building in Columbus Circle. Like, that's how they did it. They would they would just kidnap people at random and demand ransoms, 
they would do shit like that or just kill somebody at random for fun. They weren't the Italians. This guy has no fucking concept of the difference. Well, that's a major problem then. Because this whole, because again, the whole basis of the book is they were running protection. They weren't collecting. Envelopes were light. This is right out of fucking Goodfellas, by the way. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and you know what's funny? Go into Goodfellas. Was Karen making pickups while Henry was in jail? No. Was, was, you know, what were they doing? No, they were on fucking welfare or waiting for little pittance handouts from Paulie, okay? That's how it worked. So yeah, so, so I'm I'm with Pat on that. That that's people not really not see if you just if you if Jesse and I decided we're going to do a comic book and we're going to decide to base it in like you know the antebellum south. Ooh, I remember the word antebellum south. <laughs> I'm not just going to be like, well, I watched Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby ones and Gone with the Wind with my wife years ago. I know the antebellum south pretty well based on those two things. Let's go ahead and write a comic book. See, that's how, that. now after Pat said that, I'm mad, and I feel like that was the approach to this. It was like, these guys watched Untouchables and fucking Goodfellas and The Departed, you know, which I realize are not in the same time periods. But, you know, like, okay, well, you know, mafias do protection, right? Yeah, that seems, that, that seems like a thing the Irish would do. And then just made a comic book based on that. Well, then, if that's the case, then people aren't buying this book based on historical uh, facts. No, because there's none of it in there. Mm-hmm. So what does, that leave, what does that leave us with then, Mark? An entirely fictional female forward story. Mm-hmm. It, it, this, is an, this is invented whole cloth, created fiction to, to put forth an agenda about how why can't women be, why can't women be equal to men? Which I, I don't which I see what Pat's saying, because again, the women kind of fall really easily into power, and I've watched. And Jesus Christ, I've watched enough. Everyone, get out your bingo cards. I've watched enough shows like The Wire, you know, and other, you know, and other things having to do with giant drug gangs or or, or uh, cartels or mafias. Where again, if you don't have a sufficient amount of people backing you up, you just die. People steal from you, or shoot Here, you. And here's here's the thing about okay, the Irish in in Hell's Kitchen, right? At any given point in time, there were really only 12 to 20 actual guys operating. Okay? That's why you know they weren't a fucking protection or extortion racket. What they did was kidnap, kill, and steal. That's what they did. And under the era of Mickey Spillane, which lasted until 70... I want to say it's 77. I can't be positive. But up until then, they didn't sell drugs either. You know what's funny? The movie actually deals with the unions and construction jobs and they actually bring up I think it's the Javits Center in the movie uh, not by that name but they talk about oh they're building a new convention center in uh, in New York City and they talk about the importance of those construction go- jobs to the Irish and to the Italians which is yeah, we- which is weird because that makes the movie a little bit more faithful to history than the stupid comic book yeah well, the comic doesn't do that go ahead there's a big old uh, matzo ball hanging out from uh, the nose of the movie in terms of uh Accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll talk about that. What you made reference to a song earlier. It's going to have a little bit to do with that. What did you like about? <laughs> what did you like? What What did you like about the book, there, Mark? I mean, what What was the What was the fun parts or the the parts that you enjoyed the most? Like I said, um, not knowing the bit about I'm I. I no real hit, no historical knowledge of the. Kitchen I'm right there with you. I mafia. didn't come into this going no. Oh yeah, no, that's not right. I had no fucking clue. So, so <laughs> I, so I assumed all the mobs in New York ran some sort of protection. Um, so I mean that part. Of, so I, I like the idea of of the girl, even though I'm kind of with Pat, and it's really unbelievable that somehow these three women and one guy would suddenly rise to be running the entire Irish mob. But whatever. Um, I like the hard scrabble aspect of it that they're just doing it to feed their families and it goes overboard and you have these three different characters experiencing this situation three different ways. Um, you know, and it comes across as cinematic. I can see I, I think I wrote you privately, I can see why this got made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Now somewhere along the line that movie got fucked eight ways from Sunday and is terrible. Okay. <laughs> 
yeah, I, I know we're going to touch on this here later, but you know, it's this would have been this would have fit some better somewhere else, and we'll probably mention where that probably would have been. It just doesn't feel like it should have fit in the theaters. But they'll make a movie about anything and release it in the theaters. I think anymore. Jeez. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I like. Like I said, it had a cinematic quality to it. Um. I and you know, and it's and mob, mob movies. You know, people just kind of talking. Uh. You know, in in a street is pretty easy to shoot. Um. People shooting each other up with handguns is again not the hardest thing in the world. If this is this this isn't Hobbs and Shaw, you know, if this isn't going to require a tremendous amount of special effects and giant stunt pieces, this is you know. They could do this as a stage play if they wanted to. So mm-hmm. that aspect of it um, is pretty easy to understand, and I liked it. Uh, I think, you know, likes, it was a breezy read, an interesting story, utterly fiction, but that that's fine. I don't care about that as such. Uh, things I didn't like, it got a little muddled towards the end, and like I said, the car- it, it just felt like the pacing was off. Mm-hmm. I do like the main premise of somebody who feels like they cannot do something, uh, rises up uh, against all odds and does it. Uh, so that, I think, speaks to somewhat of what they were getting across here. I mean, you got that first issue that we're looking at where Kathy tries to do that collection on uh, what is I think his name's either Tony or Fr- it's Frankie. And Frankie's like, who the fuck are you? Right. Y- y- your husband's in jail. Y- y- get your twat out of my face. And <laughs> <laughs> then proceeds to smack her. Right. And then she grabs a, you know, grabs a club or she has a bat. I can't remember. But she beats the shit out of this guy and puts him into a coma. And then we find out, of course, he's, uh, no, shoots him. No, beats him with a butt pistol. I'm looking at it. Sorry. I'm going down through it. Um, but, uh Yeah. Beats him, to, beats him to shit, and then you know that kind of sets our main plot of trying to make sure that this other, that the made man does not uh, find out what happened. But I, I, I enjoyed the tension that each issue brought. I, I think there was definitely a decent story in there. Uh, now historical accuracies, clearly, I, I'm right there with you. I have no idea what's going on. So. Uh, that That's okay. Uh, Neither did the writers. <laughs> the writers were banking on that, apparently. Dude, I can tell you that this Ollie Masters, you look him up, and there's not going to be much you can find on him other than this. And I'm just, I mean, second page of Google is not going to give you much. Uh, so, I don't know. I He may be more prolific, and I just, and does a lot of indie writing, stuff that I've never read, but... I'm. It's all about the kitchen right now. Of course, it's it just got released. I'm sure that's all you're going to hear. <laughs> It'll so. be right out of the theaters next weekend. Wow, <laughs> oh, that was a movie. All right, well, uh, Pat, anything else on the book before we move into the theater? Uh, no. Okay. All right, Mark Radlich, the floor is yours, sir. All right. So let let's just talk about the elephant in the room for a second. Let's talk about the casting of this. We, in the book, we have three slender uh, white women, blonde, uh, black, and red hair. And they, uh, as they were casting for this movie, they thought, you know what? Melissa McCarthy as the skinny blonde. Tiffany Haddish, black hair, black skin. Yeah, that's the same thing. That, that's fine. And then, for some odd reason, Elizabeth Moss as the redhead. Yeah. Hot off the is it the Handmaid's Tale? Is that what it is? Yeah, uh, sure. Okay, all right. <laughs> Ask me how many episodes of the Handmaid's Tale I've watched. Um, I can tell you how many fucking advertisements I've seen for it. Holy Fuck crap! Me. Yeah, I bet you you've watched as many as I have. So Pat and I were kind of having this discussion earlier, and and, and it's probably going to provoke Pat into arguing with me, but that's okay. That's what we're here for. Um, I don't think that the logic of trying to put Melissa McCarthy in this movie is completely off. I mean, she looks nothing, obviously she looks nothing like the character, but there's plenty of that, you know, in, in the history of comic to movie adaptations. So um, I think if you're producing this, you're like, 
what female leads are out there. Um, they were clearly going for an aesthetic with her. They wanted they you know even though this is a hot blonde who is the you know the mother of two kids and is married to an Irish mobster and all of that. They were trying to go for a, a more innocent homemaker yeah. uh, kind of um, housewife housewife look. Which mm-hmm. with Melissa McCarthy can pull off. She's an she's an overweight woman, um, and when she's oh, she? <laughs> and when she's not like dolled up, she looks she looks very like plain. Like you know, she let's face it, Melissa McCarthy is known for falling down in comedies and movie and typically her movies where she falls down, uh, people will go see. They're cheaply made. She works with that's the a one very pro- loose definition of the word comedy, um, dude. She, the, the Melissa McCarthy-led comedies are cheaply made and tend to do well with her. I think it's her husband who produces them. Okay, them. well, let's let's look at some of those recent uh, Melissa McCarthy comedies, right? You had The Boss, which was a huge flop, correct? Well, I, don't, I, I never even heard of that one. Hang on. I'm, yeah. I'm, I got the list up here of stuff that she's done. So, um, Okay. If any of this is before, like, three years ago, it doesn't count. Sorry, so just the stuff between 2019 and 2016? Yeah. Um, well, Ghostbusters bombed. Uh, let's see. She was she wrote Life of the Party, and she was a producer. And how did it do, comparatively speaking? Uh, it it made money. It was a $30 million movie. It made 65 So, you know, it's not Avengers money, but it, it was fine. Apparently, she did the... She did that with the Warner Brothers. I'm actually wondering if she has a contract with Warner Brothers to where she gets, like, first choice on certain roles. How did Um, that uh, Happy happy Time Murders do? I I heard that was great. (laughs) It bombed. (laughs) Right. So of the movies we've talked about, of the four we've talked about, three were bombs, one was mildly successful. All right, she was in Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was a little indie flick. Never seen Um, it. Fox Searchlight. And it... um, it did not make money. <laughs> it was ten million to make and made eleven million. So, mm. uh, not really supporting my argument. No, um, I I can name. Well, no, I can't name them. I can tell you the premise behind them, but I, I know she the was. Boss, in, was hang it? on, the boss made money. The boss was a thirty million dollar picture. It made seventy eight million. So, if you're giving me that short a window to to, to work and see, um. I didn't even know that was around. I don't know what the hell that's about. If we're willing to go back to 2015, Spy yep. fucking made huge bank. $65 million, $235 million made. Okay, so four years ago, she was a star. <laughs> that's where we're at. Four years ago, she was a star. Uh, who else was a star four years ago? Uh, fucking Scott Baio. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Ta- Tammy... Which was a twenty million dollar uh, gross. Its box office was a hundred million, and she again wrote and produced that. I I, I think that, again that's like five years ago, six years ago. You're you're saying that her star power is worn off, maybe? Yeah, that's about right. Well, okay. and, and this role is definitely different. This is what you were getting to, Mark. I'm pretty certain, just like you were saying, fall down comedy. This role is completely different from what I'm used to seeing her in. Sure. She's she's known for kind of slapstick. You know, I, I think the thing that she, that most people associate her with is Bridesmaids, which, which was made in 2011, to, to Pat's point. Um, and she just, she's very over the top, very, um, a lot a lot of physical humor. And people, let, look, she's a fat white chick falling down a lot. People go to laugh at her. And she's, you know, richer. You know, she she's one of the, she's one of the more more successful women in Hollywood because of it. So she's laughing all the way to the bank. What was the sitcom she was in? Uh, Mike and Molly. Mike and Thank Molly, you. which also did well. I went that ran okay, for that's TV. Yeah, it ran from 2010 to 2016 on CBS. Yeah, that's TV. <laughs> it's just gonna keep hitting this woman, huh? Um, TV doesn't matter. I listen. I. There's a bunch of people on TV shows I love, but they ain't movie stars. And when they've tried, it hasn't worked. Look at David Boreanaz. Phenomenal TV star. Could not make a movie at the box office that would crack an egg. Look, if, if, you're, if you and I are producing this, I'm not making the argument for Melissa McCarthy. But, I, but we are here to talk about what might have gone through the producers' minds 
over at New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers when they were thinking about, well, how can we adapt this comic book into something that fits a modern? I think they wanted. Motif. I think. I think they cast her as a character who they could, they could try to get simpy for, but you don't get my simpy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Uh, then you have Raven, who is the black-haired uh, female character who, you know, oh, the turn. And, I didn't want to attack this one. Mm, that's and, a Raven. And they decide, okay, even though that this was an era where there was not a black person in sight among the Irish mafia, let's... And, and, and here's where I'm like, ugh, this is typical Hollywood. There is an aesthetic for the for movies made about the 70s that if you try to insert too many modern motifs into them, you lose the aesthetic entirely, and your whole film kind of falls apart because of it. So enter Tiffany Haddish, who is known for movies where she slaps Kevin Hart around. Yeah. That's the only movie I know her in. Oh, no, that's not true. She's in Medea movies, right? Uh, let's bring up her filmography here. Um, Maybe not Medea, but Tyler Perry. Let's see. She well, she's she's definitely gotten a couple of voice roles. Um, she was in the Angry Birds movie two, uh, the Secret Life of Pets two, Lego Movie two, um, and then she and then twenty eighteen she had a whole bunch of movies, and I think that's about where she, um, she okay. Let me go back a step. Girl Strip apparently was the movie that she fucking blew up for. She has a bunch of nominations and um. Uh, won a bunch of awards for playing Dina in this in whatever movie this was. I have no idea. But I think she... that's the one with uh, uh, Lenny Kravitz and uh, uh, what's her name from the Cosby Show's daughter? Uh, Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Tiffany Haddish, and Jada Pinkett Smith. No, was... then I'm wrong. Are you sure you're not thinking of Set It Off that was made in 1995? <laughs> <laughs> you used to have that soundtrack. Um... Yeah, she worked in a whole lot of movies before that. Then she got this role; it blows her up. And then in twenty, and that's in twenty seventeen. In twenty eighteen, she got like uh, four movies and a Taylor Swift stadium movie. She had Uncle Drew, The Oath, Night School, and Nobody's Fool. And then she had a bunch of voice roles in The Kitchen in twenty nineteen. And she's got two movies coming up next year. So, um, in any case. She's kind of an it actress right now, uh, as far as that goes. People know her name. They, 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 her movies, I think, have done pretty well. Again, kind of the Melissa McCarthy formula. Make them cheap, so, get a general so audience. I'm going to make a movie about a specifically ethnic group in a specific time period in a specific area. Let's spice it up and make it diverse. She's also Shannon on The Last OG, which is, uh, again, we just said TV doesn't count. But uh, apparently, the last OG is very well received, and she's really good on it. For what that's worth, uh, this character—you were talking about an aesthetic, Mark. Yes. I think I—I I think I know where you were going with that because, I mean, she gives off this. She's utterly like, out of place in this movie. Uh, yeah, her her she has an attitude. I understand the drive and the want to be. Not accepted, but being in control of the spot that you're in. Right. Uh, and she's in, if you took this at face value of what she is portraying, the situation that she's in, a black woman married to an Irish mobster, okay, yeah, that's one hell of a predicament. Hey, But hey, uh, you don't have to be such a bitch about it. Hey, Pat, how likely is it that one of the kitchen Irish mafias might have married an African-American gal in the 70s? Just, just offhand. Uh, how likely is it that we get a movie today that doesn't push some kind of feminist minority agenda? <laughs> doesn't really answer my question, but yeah. Um, look. No, listen. If any guy who was an Irish mobster in the 70s in the kitchen would have married a black girl, the first thing he would have been told was, you're only supposed to fuck him, not open up a methadone clinic. <laughs> Line, it's a line from Copland, ladies and gentlemen. Which, by the way, takes place 20 years after this movie would have taken place in a similar area, and yet that's the attitude then. You could imagine what it was 20 years before that. Right. Okay? Mm. Second, here's the thing. You could fuck anything you wanted to fuck as long as it wasn't a guy. 
but you don't marry them. Right. You marry a white girl, whether she was Irish, German, you know, hopefully not Italian, and if she is Italian, hopefully not Sicilian. But that's that was okay. You could do that. Marry a black girl? Oh, <laughs> your ass is dead. Also, dead. In the, the 70s in New York, I didn't think there was a lot of of black folks looking to marry white people either. That was more of a southern thing. It was more of a southern thing. It was more of a suburban thing. It was more of a college thing. It was not a metro New York thing where even into, again, going into the 90s, if you saw an interracial couple on the subway or eating a meal somewhere, it was like, holy shit, really? Yeah. Um, and, and look, I it, I don't... <laughs> Well, I'm not saying it because it's. I'm trying to glorify, but I'm saying it because that's how it is and was. Right, and that that was the point that I was going to bring up. It's like we're just talking about you. You just look. You make an active choice. Like if they decided that they wanted to set this film in modern uh, times, and they decide to go with a modern aesthetic, and you say, okay, uh, whatever's left of the Irish mob gets arrested, and these three broads take it over. Yeah, I'm there less, is no more. Anyway. I'm less annoyed with this movie. But if you're going to move, make a movie about the '70s and you keep pumping into it all of these modernity, you know, modern, modern. issues, mm-hmm. and then you know, and you cast you know what is supposed to be an Irish woman who rises to take control of the Irish mob, which is already not believable, but you know, let's go with it; it's a fantasy. And then you make her black. It's just like, all right, you cl- she might as well have worn a sign that said "Message." <laughs> and the thing is, is that. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, because you went and saw the movie, and I, I may not have had the greatest audio when I was watching mine. But, you know, she is a com- – you find out that her com- motivation was, like, com- a complete shitbag move. Like, she just intended to marry uh, the man, even though you could tell she kind of have, has feelings for the guy. But she in- she lets everybody else know that her intent was to marry him in order to m- make money. No, and her intention was power. to gain power for black people. Take power. And yes. Wor- yes. In the, she... she was apparently a panther. Um, and, and she decided that that the way... Now, that when she... you say that, make sure that you're just... You tell the people that that is not the case in the movie, because I don't recall that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, wait a It's a, a cut scene where she, where she walks into a basement and everyone's wearing, you know, black and umbrays and all that. Um <laughs> Forrest Gump we says... We infiltrated the Irish mob. <laughs> All right. Forrest Gump walks out. I'm sorry for making, messing up your panther party. Um, <laughs> no, she's not, she doesn't actually play a panther. But, oh, my God. Like, Tiffany Haddish is, is a fine enough actress. If you enjoy her in the things that she's done, I like her on The Last OG. I, I enjoy the show. But, again, there there is just some places certain actresses just can't either... I don't know if it was her or if it was the writing or a combination of both, but her explanation for how she how she set up the CIA to take down the FBI, oh, holy God. crap. It was the, one oh. of the worst delivered monologues I've ever heard, and the editing made it absolutely worse. And I, I criticized the book for being rushed. At the end of this, I was like, <laughs> wait a second, what, what the hell just happened? So, Pat, just so you understand what we're talking about, okay? There's this whole bit in in the movie where she reveals to Melissa McCarthy that she married this guy on purpose so that she could uh, so she could infiltrate the Irish mob, take it over, and essentially um, absorb move all her brother. She was going to move all her brothers and sisters in there. Yeah, she she was well, essentially why, going why to. Just... Why didn't she just let Ed Koch do that like he intended? <laughs> she was going to dismantle the Irish mafia and replace it with. Um, Basically, like the Harlem gangsters. She was going to move 125th Street into Hell's Kitchen. Again, why not just let Ed Koch do it like he tried to do anyway, and and pretty much did. Uh, well, they didn't know Ed Koch was coming. Um, yes, they did. He was in office from uh, 69 to 77. What was it? I thought that. Who am I thinking of then? Who was the mayor in the 80s? Uh, I, know Dinkins, of... I know Dinkins was like late 80s, early 90s, wasn't he? No, Koch, I'm sorry. Koch was actually from the 70s into the into 89. Okay. And it doesn't matter. David Dinkins sucked too, by the way. Um, yeah, Dinkins was terrible. Uh, Dinkins is what led to Giuliani, isn't it? Correct. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you guys got that straight because I was really wondering. 
Yes. <laughs> Welcome to New York City Mayor Talk. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so Tiffany Haddish, like, her character is so over the top and so laden with modern tropes that it takes you out of the movie and it drags the whole movie down. Like, Melissa McCarthy, if you've already got a bias against her, no, you're not going to enjoy her in this. Um, but, to be honest with you, but I... I her earnest performance and, you know, in a lot of what she does, Pat, um, is she's like, I'm doing this to get the Irish back to work. I'm doing this. You know, there's a lot of talk about I did it for the rock. <laughs> she's doing this to get those construction contracts. That's a, that that's, you know, like she's probably the truest character to the book in that sense. Yeah, um, except I'm, the book's not true either. But well, we've established that. So, like, she actually gives a pretty good performance in this, and, I, and I'm with her for, pretty much, for most of the movie. Tiffany Haddish, and, you know, look, some people listening to this after some of the jokes we've made might think this is, like, a racial thing, but it really isn't. If, they, if, the, if a white actress was this bad, I would have said the same thing. She's terrible in it. She's so over the top, and her character is written so badly, and I don't think there's anything Tiffany Haddish could have done to save it, in all honesty. I, I'll, I, I'll tell you. I was going to say that the part that confused me the most was that, okay, a lot of times what you're seeing in most movies or what I hear you know, most people talk about in modern movies with those, with those in modern intents of you know, woman power and, and uh, you know, you know, breaking that glass ceiling, whatever. Those are usually tried to – they try to portray them in a positive light. With Ruby, you know, that – does not go over well. I can't see somebody actually cheering for her, for her because of those You were not in the theater that I was in. There's no way people got up and said, oh, yeah, get it, girl. Oh, no, no. They I wanted her to take over. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. I, 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 but I must, be, uh, I must be way out of touch. Yeah. I, I, wake I me might, up because I'm not woke. There, there, there might as well have been an entire theater full of t- uh, Toronto wrestling fans because they were cheering the heel. Ah, I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, you can mark your bingo cards, everybody. That was a wrestling reference. A very, a very recent one, as a matter of fact. Yesterday. Um, all right, I'm gonna let's move this on. And then you have uh, Elizabeth Moss, uh, who is Claire, and she's the one who again. This is right out of the comic book. She's being beaten by her husband, and she falls in love with this psycho that's come back into town. Who, in this case, is who the character is Gabriel, and he's played by Donald Gleason. Uh, why are we changing names? <laughs> I don't understand why we're doing that. Uh, yeah, that we tried to integrate. Sense. We tried to integrate the Black Panthers into the Irish mob. I don't think names at this point are. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, I don't. I can't remember a lot of the details about her character uh, from the comic book. But this one, her story is basically she was beaten, and she's not going to let no man beat her again. Except that when her husband comes home, he punches her twice in the gut before she shoots him. Oh yeah, which got yeah. a rousing cheer from the crowd. By the way, that I was with the punches. And... <laughs> no, um, and can I? Oh, just, they should have. And can I just say, as an aside, for those people who still think it's okay to talk during the movie, fuck you. Please oh, stop yeah. coming to movies. God damn. Um, like I don't mind the occasional cheering at a Star Wars or an Avengers film when you know Captain America picks up the hammer or R two D two shows up for the first time in you know ten years. But for fuck's sake, please can we not cheer people just being shot in in, in a shitty, uh, uh, low-budget Warner Brothers film? I cheered when Quicksilver died in Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> Fucking muties. Uh, so, Pat, you need to tell me, okay, because we were talking about historical accuracies. Gunshots in the 1970s New York City Hell's Kitchen. Are they going to get a second look, or is it just like this nope, movie portrayed? you didn't see nothing, and you keep on moving. <laughs> Fucking Gabriel guns down a guy in broad daylight on a sidewalk with, like, 50 people around. He throws the gun at the guy and then walks away. Yeah, there wasn't anybody who saw anything. <laughs> that was pretty much what it was. And I was like, okay, wow. Yeah, you All keep right. your mouth shut. You didn't see anything. That was probably the most realest thing in the movie. Um, yeah. All right. So the plot of this thing, real quick, is very similar to the comic. Um, the 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 three husbands pull smash and grab. The FBI now the FBI plays. I don't think any part in the comic book. They invented this bit of the plot out of whole cloth here, where the FBI is onto the kitchen mafia, 
and they're watching these three mopes. Um, and of course, they, they catch him doing the smash and grab because they were tipped off, and uh, they get them arrested. And apparently, it was Tiffany Hadish who was responsible for that as well because she's the mm. mastermind behind this whole thing. You know, I did, did, Jesse, did you expect her to pull a mask off and yell, "It was me, Austin! It was me the entire time." Yes. Uh, it was so funny because they they kind of inserted that bit in the middle of the movie where she's kind of like watching this guy under the covers and it, it felt completely out of place. And the only reason was the service, that big reveal at the end yeah. that, Oh, it was the FBI agent that was under the covers. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh fuck me. But yeah, I mean, I did not, I did not like the way that her character was. I think the only thing way that they, they saved that reveal is if she had said to Melissa McCarthy, I am the author of all your pain. <laughs> <laughs> Got them all in tonight. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they, they're starving. They're not getting enough money from the mob. So uh, they start, you know, and they notice the collections are light. You know, and the collections are light. Protection's not coming through like it's supposed to. People are people are unhappy with the protection job the Irish are are performing. They don't feel like they're protected. You see, so the women are going to go talk to these people, and they're going to convince them to. They're going to convince these people by talking and nothing else that they should pay the women and the women will fix all the problems. Are you with me so far, Pat? No. <laughs> um, and this works miraculously. Yeah, imagine that. Uh, so along the way, Domino Gleason comes home. They end up killing somebody. I forget who. Uh, right. This is right out of the comic book where he teaches them how to butcher up a human being and uh, dispose of the body. So you know the river see, here's, to see. Here's a problem I have. Here's here's a real problem I have. So the whole idea of butchering a body and doing that that leads me to believe that whoever this schmuck is who wrote this <laughs> actually did research something because what people who know about the Westies know is that there was a guy named Eddie Comiskey. Eddie Comiskey was called the butcher. The reason he was called the butcher was because in prison, when you were able to learn a trade so that you could be rehabilitated and a productive member of society, Eddie Comiskey learned how to be a butcher. What Eddie Comiskey did was teach this skill to somebody named Jimmy Coonan, who would eventually become the head of the Westies, and apply it to disposing of bodies. So, if you are going to input that into your story, that would lead me to believe that to some level, you read something, somewhere, about what you are attempting to write about. Uh, Either that or you watch Gordon Ramsay uh, butcher a chicken on MasterChef. One of the two. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Um... So she, so he shows them how to butcher a human being and dispose of the body. Of course, the redhead then falls in love with him, and you know he teaches her the ways of being a gangster. Uh, at one point, she is like attacked by some homeless heroin user. Um, so, she, so he ends up killing. She ends up killing him like later on in the film. Um, yeah, Claire starts to begin to get this. I don't want to say bloodlust, but she begins to become way uh, too comfortable with taking matters into her own hands and, and killing people. And you can tell that that, uh, that is something that she's just taking a, a kind of a liking to, and you're rather kind of, I wouldn't say put off, but it's just, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something to see. Uh, Emmy nominee Mags Martindale plays uh, the mother-in-law to Tiffany Haddish. And they, they invented this character out of whole cloth to, to, to I guess, uh, fluff out that fluff out that plot line a bit more. Um, Tiffany just pushes her down the stairs, and she's like a you know a nagging horrible human being. Yeah, that's really nothing more to say about that. Uh, th- just like in they they eventually win over the mob. Um, yeah, threat, of course they do through threats of violence. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> they attract the attention of the Italians, just like in the comic. Uh, they they end you know that and that ends up being a partnership over uh, construction jobs, which was not in the comic. Uh, the boys get out um, sometime later. 
I, I think the women ended up exp- expanding into loan sharking along the way. Uh, so that part of it, I think, is also is like the comic. Pat, uh, Pat, what do you what, what do you think of Stevie Nicks, the singer? Yes. Uh, I wasn't a big Fleetwood fan. Okay. okay. Um, there's a lot of that on this. There's a lot of Fleetwood on this on this soundtrack. Well, yeah, it's not like they can you know play you know male bands on this show. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um like we can't get any sticks or anything. Oh, it's got to be Stevie Nicks for a mob movie. <laughs> so, yeah, so then the, so then the boys come out and that's trouble. Trouble in River City. Of course, I talked about how the one husband who's beaten the wife gets shot. Um Melissa McCarthy's husband isn't an ass about it, but definitely feels like his wife now that he's home his wife needs to stop and of course she doesn't want to because now she's a liberated woman and she's wiped asses for too long and now it's her turn and he can stay home and raise the kids to which he finds emasculating and humiliating Mm. you know because it's the 70s I really should have went back and listened to that whole conversation again between him and his wife when they were arguing because my my thoughts were like he was just trying to talk her out of just being in the position that she was in, he I said didn't get... several times that he felt displaced. He okay, all right. Well then, so he he feels displaced. His wife is now, and he's having issues. His wife is now yes. taking up what he was doing. So he has a few issues with that. But did you not get a sense that you know he was trying to also save their family from? He doing... specifically said. You didn't make a place for me. That was his main argument. So you think it was all ego and nothing to do with the fact that their relationship uh, was suffering or Pat, would be suffering. Would you like to remind Jesse what the what the um, role of women was in this late 70s Irish mafia? Get to the goddamn kitchen. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go pop out a couple babies and keep your mouth shut. I don't understand why I did not get that. I should have just listened a little bit better, I guess. I didn't. It could have been a little bit more menacing. How's that? Because well, the, he wasn't like at her throat with a knife, saying, "Okay, you need to like, give me back my position." Was he like whiny, like complaining that like somebody took the top hat in Monopoly before he could be it? Oh, yes, very he, much. So. I, that's what I was going to say. If we're going to compare it to anything, you know, he was probably it was probably along those lines. Like, well, you know, what did you? I. The look that I got, I saw on his face. It was like he was pleading for something. He was. He looked like he was going to cry. Yes. That's funny. I'm pleading for something too. He, he, like the scene again. It, it parallels the comic book in the sense that he eventually gets fed up and takes the kids, and then you know, just like in the comic, the Italians grab him and the kids, and he is presented to his wife, and she's like, "You brought her kids into this." And correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse. In the comic. Yeah. Um, how, how does that bit go in the comic? Because again, the Italians get to him before he can leave. Yeah, there's. So he goes to try and cut a deal with the Italians and right. says, "Look, they want to cut her out, right?" Yeah, he he goes to him and says, "You you need to start dealing with me again." And the guy's like, "Well, I'm already dealing with your wife." He's like, "Okay, well, there's an issue here because one of your dudes is screwing her sister." Right. And he's like, oh, that shit can't stand. I tell you what, you do this for me, and then we'll have a deal. Uh, so he goes and tries to do that. Well, lo and behold, she's one step ahead of him, which I think it's Raven's one step ahead of him, and kills the guy before he can get to her. And yackety-schmackety, by the end of it, um, by the end of it, he he grabs the kids. He grabs, uh, his, he grabs his two kids without Kathy knowing about it, and he calls up the Italian guy. He's like, look, he's like, I, we had a deal. He's like, I need, I, I want to get my kids out of this. I want, I want to get, I want to leave, and I want to get my kids out of this. I need your protection. 